When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach, and I am a business owner myself. I own the Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville, uh, franchise uh, location here. I'm one of six or seven in the greater Chicagoland area, but I'm also one of about 220 worldwide, both here in the U.S. and 15 other countries. Uh, our job is to assist small business owners uh, to confidentially sell and match them up with qualified buyers. In addition to that, we also assist business owners who want to expand via acquisition, maybe perhaps finding another entity that will fit their strategic profile. We also do franchise sales. So if you're an executive in transition looking to get into the entrepreneurial world, you want to buy a model that's already out there, franchise opportunities are there and we can help you do that. And we also do franchise development. So if you're a small business owner looking to expand via the franchise model, one of our sister subsidiaries has been involved over the past 40 years with over 2,000 franchises, both their brand name, Sinorama, you may have heard of them, plus a few others that we've been involved with. So we definitely know how to assist you with marketing, documentation, meetings, and whatnot to get you on the franchise model if that's how you choose to expand accordingly. But today, we're going to talk a little bit more about building better businesses. And I'm delighted today to have Gail Doby. She's an accomplished author. Her latest book is called Business Breakthrough, Your Creative Value Blueprint to Get Paid What You're Worth. And I know many business owners uh, tend to struggle with that concept. So first of all, Gail, thanks for joining us. And uh, tell me a little bit more about your book and about your business, but we're going to get into that in greater detail soon. So just an overview for now. Well, thank you so much. And just at a very high level, I have been doing coaching and consulting for about 13 and a half years, specifically for creative entrepreneurs, which I don't know how many of those you know, Steve, but a lot of them struggle with making money in their business. And my goal is to help them make a lot of money in their businesses. And that is what we do. And it has been a pleasure working with them. Sounds good. So before we get into a little bit more about what it is you do to help your clients, we have to go down memory lane. We're going to rewind the videotape. Let's go back to your childhood. What were you doing back in your early years? Were you uh, uh, thinking about becoming a uh, coach and a consultant for uh, business owners? Or did you have different aspirations back then? And also, what kind of influence did your parents and your family have you as you were in your formative years? 
Oh, wow. That's a great question. First of all, my parents were in medicine, so they had nothing to do with business. And therefore, I had absolutely no influence from them about business. And my mother actually wanted me to be a musician. And so I started down that path at an early age, playing lots of different musical instruments. But by the time I got to high school and was in debate and doing different things like that, I just told my mother, I'm not going to be a musician. And by the time I got to college, I started off in poli sci and then ended up in business. And I got a degree in finance first. So I ended up just on this really interesting path to get into business. But the very first thing I did is um, I worked for a Fortune 500 company and called on architects and designers. So I have been around the business of design and architecture for really my whole life uh, since college. So that's how I got into this. And, um, and along the way, I just had to learn on my own and having the experience of working for a big corporation, then smaller company, and then going to work for myself and doing a design business and then into consulting. So it's been a checkered past, you might say. Well, you know, you say it's a juggered past, but I wouldn't say so because many of entrepreneurs out there have taken the path that you and I have taken. I was in corporate America. Mm. I was an executive for multi-billion dollar companies, got involved in many acquisitions at that level. And now I own my own business. But there are many that are just like you and I who have been through the corporate executive ranks and then went down to a smaller company. I did the same thing. And now you're on your own. So what do you think was the impetus behind large-scale corporate America, small business, and then going out on your own. How did you get to that mm. path? Well, again, it was something that I didn't intend, like most of it. It's an evolution. And you start for a big corporation and you realize, and maybe you felt this way too, Steve, but I just realized I was not cut out for a corporate. And I had a bigger desire to run my own business at some point. And then by the time I had gone through the transition from the big corporation to the smaller company, and then my friends started hiring me to be do design work for them. And then I said, hmm, maybe I should be thinking about this. And so I went back to school and got a design degree. And so that's how I ended up uh, starting my first business. And now, a few years later, I decided that I saw my friends struggling with their businesses and making money and dealing with all the issues that I was struggling with. And that led me to consulting, which I've been doing for 13 and a half years now. Sounds good. Do you do that on your own? Are you a solopreneur? Do you have a team that work with you? Do you rely on outside people? How does that work? Well, that's a great question. I am not a solopreneur. I do have a team. And I'm the lead coach, of course, and the founder and visionary of the company. And I also have a co-founder who, who has a design degree, but she has become my right hand in building this business. And she and I have worked together for 16 years. And then we have a, an incredible team behind us. And we have a team of coaches and just a, a great staff behind us that helps to coach on all aspects of the business. So there's a few questions here in your summary sheet. We're going to go through some of them because they're very, very interesting. And even though you are mostly an interior design work, right, Gail? Well, I'd say creative entrepreneurs. So the majority are interior designers, but we work with architects and lighting designers and landscape designers. And I've worked with CPAs and bookkeepers, <laughs> you name it, a little bit of everything. Well, that, that's my point, because what mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about while you might focus mostly on interior designers or some variation thereof, what we're going to be talking about applies to all 
entrepreneurs, I would say. So it says here, why designers don't get paid what they're worth. I think you can say, why do some business owners don't get paid what they're worth? How do you respond to that? Oh, gosh, there are two major reasons I see that people have a difficult time getting paid what they're worth. First, they don't know what they're worth. And a lot of it is because they don't understand the finances of their business, and they don't understand what they should be charging in order to make a profit. And they don't have a strong financial model. That's something that we teach our clients. And then the second thing behind that is mindset. If they don't believe that they're worth getting paid something that is beyond the cost of operating their business, then they are not ever going to make money. And so that's what I try to work on is both mindset as well as the financial knowledge to help people make money. So how deep do you get into the numbers? Because that's the second question that we have here, or the second bullet. How deep do you get into uh, coaching your business owners getting into the uh, finances of the company? Are you getting down to uh, amortization based on life of, I mean, I'm, I don't know, how deep do you go in it? Do you go so far and then say you got to get someone else? How does that work? Well, I'd say that for the people that we're working with, we can't get as far down as what you were just starting to go down that path because they are not at that level yet as far as their financial knowledge. So for us, we work first to understand what are their financial goals for themselves personally. So we look at what we call the custom prosperity formula, and that is looking at what does it cost them to operate their lives, and then what are their dreams, and then what assets do they have so we can figure out how much do you need to earn over the life of your remaining business so that we can figure out what the financial model needs to be. And then the next thing we do is go into a three-year financial model for them and show them how to, to charge a reasonable amount and make a real profit. So I crack a smile only because you use terms that most accountants wouldn't use because you talk about the cost of life. Mm -hmm. I've never heard an accountant talk about the cost of life. And then you talk about the value of your dreams. Now, again, in some way, shape or form, accountants do think of it in that way, but they never characterize it that way. But I think you bring it to a more personal level by by mentioning those terms. I think it resonates a little bit better. How about you? Well, I think so, too. And all of our clients are, we have 85% or so are female. And so we really have to connect with people on an emotional level and then convince them on a logical level that they really need to understand the financial piece and convince them that they can learn it. Because a lot of people have that. I don't know if you've ever seen this little hand action where they just kind of swipe their hand over their head and say, it goes right over my head as far as finances. And every time I see that, I just smile because my goal is to get them past that so that they actually understand their finances and can talk about it. Yeah. My experience is more uh, deer in the headlights, but it's the same thing. That you're <laughs> exactly. So this, this topic comes up repeatedly, and I'm impressed that it is a common theme with many people like you, the importance of investing in coaching. Ah, and. Yes. That is critically important. And I've often stated that, you know, you can't be a subject matter expert in everything. So you need to rely on others that are, and I don't mean to sound uh, derogatory here, but you need to invest or, or at least deal with people who know are smarter than you in certain areas. So tell me what your philosophy is on the importance of investing in coaching. What kind of examples can you give? Well, first of all, I have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in coaching for myself, and it, I believe strongly in it because you cannot possibly know everything. 
And my view is that you need to learn as quickly as possible so that you don't make stupid mistakes. And so that's the purpose of coaching to me. And what's interesting for most of my clients is they will say to me, "Um, I wish I had started your program a year earlier. And so every time I hear people go through that, I think, oh, my gosh, if people would just take that big leap, they would save themselves so much time and heartache and loss of money so that they can actually get past those hurdles that most of us have to struggle through. Right. The next topic we have here is why you are stuck in your business. So how many clients would you say that you have worked with in your 13 Mm. plus year career? Well, we have over, I think, 2,200 clients that we've served over the course of our 13 and a half years at various levels. And now we're way into the deeper level of uh, consulting and services for these people. So, yeah, a lot of people. (laughs) Well, the reason why I asked that question, because my next question is going to be focusing on being stuck in your business now. That's something you and your team can recognize just by talking to your clients? Or do you just ask them the question? Do you feel like you're stuck and why are you stuck? I would think with 2,200 clients under your wings, getting deeper and deeper into some of your most recent clients, is that something that becomes obvious to you and your and your colleagues? Or do you have to physically ask that question? It's interesting because it comes up automatically in the early conversation when we're just starting about to talk about having some sort of an engagement. And I hear most of our clients say, I really feel stuck. I'm not sure how to get out of the situation. I'm not happy with these results. And those are the things that we hear from them. So uh, we don't actually prompt for that because that's one of the things that we look for. If they're stuck, we can help them. Something here that seemed obvious, but you go ahead and put it as a bullet item, the importance of documenting repeatable tasks. Oh, gosh, yes. uh, Tell me a little bit more about that. I think you probably would say that many entrepreneurs just don't have that discipline to do that. And why is that so critically important? If you have to do something more than once, and you know this, um, if you do it more than once, there should be a process for it. And if you want to not be delivering every single element of your business, then you have to have processes that other people can deliver in the way that you want it delivered. So that's the only way to have a business that is not dependent on just you. Yeah. And for those of you who have not been involved in uh, buying and selling a business, there is what we call a closing checklist. And everything has got to get done. Documentation is needed. Signatures are needed. Some of them can be electronic. Some of them cannot. So to your point, there are repeatable uh, steps in most everything that we need to do. So you need to keep tabs on that for sure. You have a comment here on marketing your creative business. Is that different than marketing some other type of business? What do you mean exactly by marketing your creative business? For many companies, they deliver something that is tangible. It might be a product, but when you're talking about a creative business, you first have to sell the ideas before you can um, actually see a result. So for a creative business, it's a little bit more complicated to sell that idea of what you're doing because you have clients who don't necessarily understand how to translate what your fees are into what they're going to get. So it takes a little bit more knowledge about how to uh, market and sell according to what the clients are looking for. So I think that's something that is different than a product-based company. 
I would agree with you there. Let's go back to your book. You talk about creating value, the value blueprint to getting paid for what you're worth. Are there two or three specific examples that uh, kind of surprise your clients when you tell them, hey, you haven't considered this or you haven't considered that? Are there a couple of those that uh, seem to be common uh, items that are overlooked by business owners in terms of getting the value that they're worth? I think there are a couple of things. First, they have to have a way of setting expectations with their clients from the very beginning so that they can get paid what they're worth. They have to have systems and processes so they are running efficiently and they need to understand also what a financial model is and why that's important to their business. And if they don't have those three things, I think they will fail miserably at their businesses. And those are the things that we try to teach from the very beginning with them. So tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, what are your ideal clients? Who are, who are the best people that would benefit from the services you offer? Unless it runs a gamut and goes from, you know, smaller, big, middle, what would be your ideal client? Well, I think everyone has a range of services they provide. And probably the two areas that we love to work in the most would be clients that are probably two employees and above. And then we also like to work with larger teams. Maybe it's a company that has 10 or more employees. So those are our two groupings as far as the sizes of the business. And the revenue, of course, can can vary quite a bit, but it's somewhere between, I'd say, half a million to about two and a half million. And then our upper level clients are the 2.5 million and above. So we have both of those as uh, sweet spots. Now, you, your uh, primary focus is on architecture, interior design. You mentioned some of those in the beginning. Are those kind of the clients that you're looking to, to target or are those the clients that reach out to you? How does that come about? Well, we get a lot of referrals. So thankfully, we have a lot of people. I actually have a lighting designer who's probably one of my biggest referral sources. And he just loves what I do. And he refers me to designers and architects all over the country, which is wonderful because he does a very high level of work. And um, so we do tend to focus on the creative entrepreneurs. And it's really, as you said earlier, all of us that are working in the consulting field, the principles of business are fairly similar. But for creative people, there's a slight twist to it because you're selling your creative ideas and intellectual property over product. So we tend to focus on that. Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, well, we're almost at the end of our time. I'm so sorry to say, but uh, is there anything that we haven't covered in our questions and answers that uh, you want the audience to know about? Gosh, there are so many things. I can't probably list 100, but I can list one or two that I think are important. And you can that even is go, to three. go to three. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is to believe that... You're doing a great job at whatever you're doing, but you can do better. All of us can. And trying to find solutions or answers or consulting or coaching from somebody who's been down that path is going to save you years and years of time, and it will make you a lot of money. Um, the second thing is I think mindset is key. You have to be willing to learn, and you also have to be willing to put in the work to make your business a better and stronger business. And you deserve it. You all deserve to have the kind of business that you really want. And the third thing is to have a clear vision for your business and know where you're going, what you're trying to build. And if you can do that, you can create a plan and a process to do that. Yeah. 
that seems to be uh, so uh, elementary, but I think because you get so involved in certain things that some of that may be overlooked. And uh, uh, I strongly encourage anyone out there that if you want to bounce some idea off of someone, I mean, particularly you, Gail, it makes a lot of sense to be able to figure out, you know, what it is you need to be focusing in on, how to concentrate in certain areas, how to delegate when needed, because, you know, once you're able to do that, that can uh, give you an opportunity to excel at what you do best. Absolutely. So last but not least, where can the uh, audience go to find out more about Gail? Well, thank you for asking. First of all, they can find my book on Amazon and it's Business Breakthrough by Gail Doby. And you can also find us at our website, which is gaildoby.com. Sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. You talked about having 100 other things we didn't cover. You only gave me three. So that means we're (laughs) going to have to have to go back to talk about the other 97. How about that? That would be fabulous. I'd love to do that. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you again for joining us for another edition of Building Better Businesses. I hope you learned some tidbits from here. Check out Gail's site. And uh, as always, join me for another edition of Building Better Businesses. Thank you so much. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele which in turn will build you a better business.